Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, September the 30th edition, the game day recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, another game, another loss. We'll get you the position-by-position breakdowns and five takeaways from Miami's 30-10 defeat at the hands of the Los Angeles Chargers. Some improvements in key areas, other needs becoming more apparent. We'll stop by college football and look at the two quarterback performances from Saturday, and we'll update you on Miami's draft positioning. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter. That's voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. The recap article with all the video breakdowns is up there live right now. Check that out. We have much to discuss today. That's another Miami Dolphins. We'll go ahead and start with the takeaways from the game off the top here. And even though Miami was competitive against a banged up Chargers team, and the Dolphins were banged up too, don't get me wrong, it just wasn't enough. 12 passing yards in the second half, 37 yards total in that second half, a boneheaded sack down around the goal line, a boneheaded interception, more drops, more missed kicks, some floundering in that depleted secondary and some poor effort from some guys. All of those will be topics on the show before we get into the takeaways, the stats from the game. Miami were once again significantly outgained, outpossessed, and really out-everything for the fourth consecutive game, except for in the rushing yards department. The Dolphins had 72 yards on the ground on Sunday and only surrendered 79 on the other end, so we've got progress there. The passing game, though, a different story. Miami throws for just 161 yards while the Chargers through for 311. That gave them 390 yards total to Miami's 233. But the good news for Miami is that penalties for the second straight week were at just five total, five for 53 yards. The Chargers had 10, double that for 89 yards. Miami was five for 11, 45.5%, by far their best mark on third and fourth down. On defense, they allowed San Diego, check that, LA, to convert 57% of their third and fourth downs. Chargers had five sacks, Dolphins had one, and the Chargers had the ball for 37 and a half minutes, Miami for 22 and a half. You guys can see the entirety of those up on LockedOnDolphins.com, but let's go ahead and get back into the positives and start with the takeaways with one area that I don't think anybody saw coming on Sunday, and it was the improvements on the offensive line, particularly on that right side with Evan Bame and Isaiah Prince both having good games up on that offensive line with plenty of push early on. They made it a point. The game plan was focused on running the football off that right side of the line, whether it was unbalanced formations and 12 personnel and using two tight ends and just trying to mash people off that right side or using some clever counter action to go against the grain and get guards and tackles pulling from the backside to the front side. I thought Bame did really well in helping out Isaiah Prince with some double teams. There were some instances where his guy would slant or twist or stunt to the inside and he would be left without anybody there to help him. They wanted to create one-on-one isolation on Isaiah Prince and Bame did well to get out there and support him in that way. And Prince in his own right had plenty of push in the running game. Those two guys together looked very 
very good. I'm encouraged going forward about them, as well as Kenyon Drake in that backfield running behind those guys, running tough, running physical, and making more decisive moves. I think it's pretty clear at this point in that ground game, passing game, however you want to splice it, that Kenyon Drake is better than Kalen Balazs. Next takeaway, the linebacker group. My goodness, they made a big change in this one, and it was a long time coming. Raekwon McMillan got way more playing time than Sam McGuavin as the second linebacker in sub packages. He is just a block beater. He loves to initiate contact and causes a car crash every time he correctly IDs the run, and he does it a lot. He has a quick trigger, gets himself in there. He had a hell of a ball game. We'll talk more about him in just one second. Sam Egwavon on the other side is a block eater in the sense that they like to run him over, merely a speed bump for the guys in his way. He is getting tossed around. He can't effectively set the edge. He's not giving you anything in coverage or blitzing. I just don't know what he's done for you so far through four games, especially as Raekwon McMillan emerges as the superior linebacker. So takeaway number two, McMillan belongs on the field over Aguavin. Number three, this one is a short one, but some lack of effort from some guys on several plays out there. I showed the video. You guys responded. You even tagged him in it. Please don't do that. That's super annoying. But Jerome Baker's effort on a touchdown play, I think it was to Austin Eckler, where Rashad Jones bailed on the coverage and went after Phil Rivers. And Jerome Baker just kind of stood there in the middle of the field and didn't have any interest in pursuing the backside of that play. We saw that a few times from Baker, from some other guys. Rashad Jones wasn't putting in the best effort all the time. Xavier Howard continues to look like one of these guys that maybe isn't always playing his hardest. And the, the big takeaway from this in general is that tanking isn't just some consequence-free thing you do. You get the franchise quarterback and you wind up okay on the other side. You're going to have some issues. You're going to run into things like this, losing interest of guys that could have an impact on good teams around the league. The only thing is they're on this bad team and they just don't have that much of an interest in giving it to you. But also the other catch of that is neither of those guys, Jerome Baker and Rashad Jones, have been that good. Jones, because of injuries, and Baker has just played poorly through four games. Takeaway number four, the same issues continue to pop up for Josh Rosen. He is late on some of the reads, not always trusting his eyes. That little hitch as he climbs the pocket is forcing him to be off time and off target and off rhythm. The slant route to Preston Williams, that thing was thrown too far behind, even though he got mugged on the route and ran a poor route. Rosen's accuracy and placement and missing the layups over and over again. These things are consistent in his game, and it just makes me think that's part of his DNA. That's who he is, and we'll talk more about him in the third segment. And finally, the fifth takeaway from the game is Jason Sanders becoming a problem. I mean, one or two isn't the end of the world, but three missed kicks in two weeks after a year where he was nearly perfect, a camp, a preseason where he was nearly perfect. This is a position that can honestly go away overnight given the mental hurdles that come with the job. I'm just nervous as hell. Even in a year where this team is tanking and these missed field goals are helping, I'm nervous about being one of those teams on the kicker hamster wheel. It can derail seasons for good teams. It's derailed Charger seasons before. I won't sit here and slit the proverbial wrist just yet, though, and I hope you're ready for some kicker scouting here, baby, because here it comes, but the ball isn't having these crazy draws, or he's not shanking it right off the kick. He's just a little bit off. I think he'll get recalibrated, and he'll be fine, but as Jason Sanders kicking gives him issues, is your next assignment in life and school at work giving you issues? You want to absorb a lot of information fast? Then you guys got to check out Blinkist. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. 
Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash locked on to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription with Blinkist. Or maybe cooking is your issue. It sure as hell is mine. Anytime the wife is gone and I'm left to fend for myself, I always wind up going out. But now you can get the food brought to you with DoorDash. Whether you had a long day at work and you don't feel like cooking, or you're just being lazy sitting at your house watching football and don't want to miss a minute of the action, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come right to you with DoorDash. Your sweatpants are on for the day. You're not getting out of bed and microwaving some leftover food or cardboard pizza. You want some good stuff. You enter DoorDash. You get restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will come right to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, eh? Order from your local go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and even the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Locked On. Don't forget, that's promo code Locked On for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. There certainly is no party in the sad, sad city that is South Beach tonight, unless you don't care about the Dolphins, which is probably most of the city. But for us, it's a sad, sad state of affairs right now. But also, hopefully, we get a taste in the future of success when things turn around at the other side of this rebuild of this tank, as it were. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right back into the article up on LockdownDolphins.com. The recap from the game on Sunday. Of course, we'll have the All-22 breakdown on Wednesday's show for you guys. And then programming will change for us going forward. We'll talk more about that in the third segment, as well as quarterbacks in college football. But that's a good spot to go ahead and transition into the recap from the game against the Chargers. 30-10, to the Dolphins lose their fourth straight, their seventh straight going back to 2018. And we start here with the quarterback. I talked about it off the top. And Rosen, I even mentioned this in some tweets on Sunday, that when he has that clean pocket and he can step up and drive the football, there's a reason this guy was a passing camp champion all through his high school and college years because when he does have that clean pocket, a lot like a Ryan Tannehill, he's going to drive the football and look very, very impressive when everything around him is clean, there's no crowd noise, and it's all tailored to make him specifically successful in those circumstances and those negatives I talked about in the opening segment just are too much especially when you're facing a quarterback class that could change things for you more on that in the third segment at the running back position can we put the Kenyon Drake Kalen Balaj debate to rest it's got to be over by now despite the fact that Drake did have another fumble which was recovered by Evan Bame two recoveries for the big right guard and the game on Sunday we're going to get to him in just one second too but Drake another fumble despite that was clearly the more dynamic back on Sunday. He was decisive. He was shifty. He made people miss in the open field. He caught the football seamlessly out of the backfield. And you just cannot say the same thing for Kalen Balaj when he gets out there. Drake, 
caught three of his five targets for 29 yards. Balazs dropped the only ball they threw in his direction. Balazs had two carries for seven yards. Drake had nine for 44. I suspect that snap count differential will be much greater this week as we get the Aftermath podcast on tomorrow's show here, the Tuesday show for the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Mark Walton got himself some work late in this game and actually got way more carries than Kalen uh, Balaj did. He had six for 23. He caught two balls for 11 yards and his most impressive play came about halfway through the fourth quarter when he caught a little swing pass and put a move on a Charger defensive back that damn near broke his ankles. That's up on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. The receivers, the same issues continue to plague this group, whether it's Preston Williams or Devontae Parker, just drops, drop after drop after drop. Preston Williams had a really bad one in the middle of the field on Sunday, but he did show some concentration to catch some nice ricochet passes, balls that were deflected, and he came down with them. He caught four of his seven seven targets for 46 yards and Devontae Parker caught all four of his for 70 yards and a touchdown although the touchdown catch was a beautiful scheme by Chad O'Shea what he did was pull a backside drag route to pull up the zone corner coverage on the play side of the field in and then Devontae Parker's initial part of the wheel route looked like a speed out route so that helped pull the cornerbacks up as well and then he hits him with the wheel he's wide open easy pitch and catch for a touchdown and Jakeem Grant looks like the forgotten man in this offense right now he's running a lot of that underneath stuff that Julian Edelman would run up in New England jerk routes whip routes, sit-downs, hookups, and they're trying to find him on those, but he's just not getting free. He had one catch for six yards in the game on Sunday. Miami's plan was to run the football and run it successfully in this game, and for the most part they did. They averaged four yards per carry and had to get away from it as the as the clock wore down and the Chargers' lead got bigger, but part of that plan took away Mike Gesicki's involvement from the game plan. He's more of a pass-catching tight end, a flex-out wide type of guy. We all know that. I think he probably went down in snaps this week as well. We'll check back on that on the aftermath column but it meant more work for Nick O'Leary and Durham Smythe who really whenever the Dolphins running game was going Durham Smythe seems to be part of that solution and he made some nice hits today where he cleared out some lanes his bread and butter is freeing up that that offset 12 personnel backside lane or doing some work in the 11 personnel inline run blocking he got some nice blocks in on Sunday and speaking of good blocking up front on the offensive line it has been a while It's been a while since we've been able to say this offensive line got the job done, and it did for the most part on Sunday, especially in that first half. And it starts back at the right side of the offensive line we opened the show talking about with Evan Bame, who for the second straight week has had a really good game. Last week, he came in at left guard when Michael Dieter kicked out to left tackle to replace Jesse Davis. And so far, through four games this year, if I had to give you an answer for which of these guys is going to stick alongside Jesse Davis long term, I would say it's Evan Bame because you go back to his tape with Indianapolis, you saw some competitive toughness, you saw a mean streak, you saw a guy that was smart and passed off on certain games and twists and stunts from the offensive line. He communicates well, he loves to hit, he's a consistent, steady, durable player. He might be a find at right guard for us going forward. We'll talk more about that in segment number three. You heard me talk about Isaiah Prince. Some deficiencies in pass protection, but that's okay. That's kind of his game. They helped him out with some chipping in this game. I thought Daniel Kilgore played pretty well. The left side, not as good. It seems like all the communication issues and overload pressures that really put heat on the quarterback early and blow up some running plays come off that left side. Whether it's Michael Dieter, whether it's Jamarcus Webb, whoever was in there with Dieter 
here last week, it seems like all the problems come off that left side of the offensive line. I'll have more for you guys on that on the All-22. Flip it over to the other side of the line, the defensive line, Taco Charlton, two sacks in two games, making us all forget about Charles Harris pretty quickly here. And while I think his pass rush game, there's not much to it, but the sack he did have on Sunday was a good job beating a tight end, which you're supposed to do if they put a tight end on the defensive end. But then the work to flatten the edge was really impressive as he worked his way into that sack. And the way he's defended the run and kind of been instinctive towards guards pulling in his direction or the tight end trying to come across for a dig out block or just getting himself upfield and setting that edge and funneling the play back inside. He's done well in that regard and that's going to be how he makes an impression on this coaching staff and how he earns a long-term role here in Miami. For Devon Godshaw, business as usual against the run. He consistently resets that line of scrimmage backwards. And I guess, depending on how you view the defensive tackle position, if statistics are what matters to you, the Dolphins outperform the Chargers in that regard. So I guess that means Godshaw had a good game. As far as the pass rush work, there's a great rep up on LOD.com on my Twitter timeline where he walks Mike Pouncey a solid six to seven yards into the lap of Phillip Rivers. Now, Rivers completes the pass, so your stats are going to be damned on this one. But why? Watch the rep. It's good work from Godshaw. He's playing with that power every single week. Christian Wilkins, not a good showing for him. I think there, there are three or four reps a game where he shows you the stack and shed, two-gap, read-and-react type of defense they want to play. But as a whole, cumulatively, his showing has not been good so far. It's not at a dire situation right now, but the development early on for him has not been great. Something to watch going forward. At linebacker, going back, the best player on the Dolphins' defense, in my opinion, right now, through four games, has been Rayquan McMillan, and I'm not sure if it's close. He was only a sub-package player the first three games, but he took over in many of the Dolphins' two linebacker packages and formations in this game, replacing Sam Egwavon, and the way he attacks contact and pursues ball carriers and quickly pulls his trigger, man, it's fun to watch. There are plenty of videos up on the article where he gets in there and just bangs head with somebody, and they don't want to do that anymore because he often wins and he delivers the blow, he delivers the contact, and he's the one issuing the pain. All four of his tackles on Sunday were solo tackles. His workload went up. I'm curious to get a look at his PFF numbers, but he was terrific. Talked about Sam Egelvon. He had a rough game. It's been a rough four months for him. We talked about Jerome Baker's effort level and we'll round out the position by position review talking about defensive backs. Eric Rowe got pretty much feasted on all game long. It looks like he just has no discernible plan at the top of the route. He's good at initially engaging the contact and redirecting at the line of scrimmage when he can get his hands on the guy. But when you do that, you also typically do not have safety help as you're in cover one or even zero defense. And then he panics at the top of the route and has no ability to, to transition and get himself in a position to make a play on the ball. I think replacing him is going to be a big, big need and priority this offseason. And we'll talk about this later in the week, but I think I found a guy in this draft class that can do just that. Xavier Howard, not his best game again, but he did bounce back better. He followed Keenan Allen around most of this game, at least when he went into a plus split, and Allen only had 48 yards, so that's a win for Howard. He did have a DPI, and I think he gave up a couple of catches in the game, but nothing too serious. I thought Steven Parker was pretty good, although I want to go back and look at some of the work the Dolphins secondary did, because most of the Chargers passing yardage came from the running backs and tight ends and dump offs, and so I think the secondary played well, but I got to see it in all 22, and then of course, 
course, Jason Sanders, the two missed kicks, finally gets the kicker into the column up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Again, if you guys want to see all these videos and further breakdowns, check out the article. We're going to come back and recap this thing, put a bow on it. We'll talk about Tua Tungavailoa, Jordan Love from the weekend. We'll discuss the draft implications of the results from the weekend for Miami, Houston, the Saints, and Steelers. All that stuff ahead here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, one area of life you should never look past or look forward and beyond is when it comes to the bedroom. And that's why I'm here to tell you guys about BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. You don't have to fear that moment anymore. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Maybe you don't need them. They're still worth a good time. Just ask the missus. She will approve too. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Whether you're trying to make a baby or you're going on a bachelor party and need all the help you could get, if you could benefit from the extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code, MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it today for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Tua it is 9-3. to three. The Saints are up on the Cowboys with about 11 minutes to go in the third quarter as I record this podcast, watching this game with a side eye, keeping an eye on the Dolphins' second-round draft pick, which belongs to them, by way of the New Orleans Saints trying to get myself five picks into the top 50. We'll go ahead and talk about the Dolphins' draft position here in just one second, but first, before we do that, why don't we talk about the quarterbacks the Dolphins could be choosing from in next April's draft, and really, I don't think it's a competition anymore at this point. We've barely even reached the conference schedule, but for all intents and purposes, this thing is over. I think Jake Fromm has kind of fallen off. He didn't play this Saturday, but you watch his performance as kind of a complimentary role against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Eh, not really a top five quarterback prospect, in my opinion, at least top five of the draft. Justin Herbert, he too was off. You guys know about my concerns in his game. Jordan Love played, and he was dreadful against Colorado State, making poor decisions. His mechanics sometimes, they don't get properly aligned when he has to make a quick flip or a quick read or go from this first read to the second read, and it loses velocity on the ball, which is crazy because the guy has a supremely talented arm, and he shows that multiple times every Saturday, kind of like Josh Allen did at Wyoming, where he's whipping that thing all over the lot with ridiculous spin and velocity, but sometimes when he makes a quick RPO or wants to get the ball out quickly, he doesn't properly align his footwork and his base, and it causes the ball to sail on him, and he got undercut on two out routes to the far side of the field in that game on Saturday for two interceptions. One, going back for a pick six. He dropped a snap in the wet conditions down around the goal line that got turned over, and he missed a lot of throws. 
Jordan Love really hurting himself so far in the scouting process this year. But the guy that's not hurting himself, the guy that's helping himself secure that number one overall draft pick, which currently belongs to your Miami Dolphins, is Tua Tungavailoa. Six touchdowns through the air, one on the ground, 418 yards passing. He now has 25 total touchdowns, 1,718 total yards, and zero interceptions for the year. He's completing 74% of his passes. And I've got plenty of video clips on my Twitter timeline on the college scouting report from the weekend up on LockedOnDolphins.com. If you guys want to see him evade pressure, if you want to see him go through progression and find the passing lanes with his post-snap eye and hip and body manipulation and fire that thing in there accurately on time, on target, and on the perfect location, go check it out. This guy is everything we need, everything we want to resurrect this franchise and get us back to the glory years that we had when last time a 13-played quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tungavailoa, far and away the option, far and away the pick right now, and it is our pick. The Dolphins have climbed to the top of the Tankathon list, currently number one overall. Of course, the Steelers could win on Monday night and change that, I believe, with the Bengals possibly jumping the Dolphins. But currently, as I record this podcast, Miami picks first, fifth, and 25th in the first round. The Houston Texans had a big loss at home against the Carolina Panthers against a backup UDFA quarterback, although Kyle Allen had three turnovers, but he has played better than a UDFA moniker would normally suggest. The Texans could be 4-0. They could be 0-4. I think it's going to be like that with them all season. That pick should fall right around the late teens, early 20s, maybe into the mid-20s. We'll see, but injuries have been rough on that team. I talked about it already. Saints are up 9-3 right now, and on Monday night, the Steelers with that huge, huge game against the Bengals. Not only does a win there for the Bengals push them off the winless mark, which I believe five other teams are right now. The Dolphins, the Jets, the Bengals, and Steelers. One of those teams will get a win. The Cardinals are in that mix, but they also have a tie, and the Broncos lost late to the Jaguars. Damn you, Minshew, for pulling that one off. But if Cincinnati wins, they remove themselves from that list. It pushes Miami into the third overall pick, along with the first pick from Pittsburgh. And things could really unravel there from the Steelers, especially if something happens to that quarterback. You'll recall they traded off Josh Dobbs to the Jaguars when Nick Foles got hurt. Then Big Ben goes down. And now they have a quarterback named Devlin something rather. I forgot. But an undrafted quarterback prospect from Samford University. Not Stanford, Samford. So... In addition to the first pick, you could wind up with a top three pick. And if it is the third pick, let's just go ahead and speculate for now. You've got a 22-point pick, according to that old draft chart thing we all know about. A 2,200-point pick sitting in your pocket with a bunch of teams that probably will be looking to come up for a Chase Young or a quarterback of their own. Whatever it is, it's the third pick in the draft. 2,200 points is worth roughly the 10th pick and the 22nd pick, which happens to be right about where Oakland or Las Vegas could be picking with their two first-round picks from the Bears and from their own pick. If they wind up with that and they want to come up for a quarterback, you could wind up with three more first-round picks, the 33rd pick and the 50-something pick from the Saints, five picks in the top 50, in addition to already having your quarterback in Tua Tungavailoa with that first overall pick, this team, this position has a chance to turn things over pretty quickly and get this team right back on the right track, especially after watching the way that Alabama quarterback has played this year. And to quickly transition and change gears here real quick, I talked about this in the open with Bame and Price, possibly giving you a chance to pass on the big money item or draft pick on the offensive line. Now, don't get me wrong, a long, long way to go before we can make that decision with confidence. And you might say the same thing about the quarterback spot. In fact, I've seen it a lot on Twitter, but in all honesty, we've all seen the quarterbacks in this class and who the top one is and what he provides. 
He's everything scouts love. And Josh Rosen just hasn't shown anything close to that level of play at any point in his career. Not now, not last year, not at UCLA. No matter how you measure it, his prospects do not add up to what Tua's do. And you might say that's unfair to Josh Rosen, but that's the vacuum you have to evaluate Josh Rosen in right next to the one that Tua Tungavailoa exists in. So while some other podcasts will tell you that this guy, Josh Rosen, is the next Tom Brady or whatever it was that he said, or comparing Patrick Laird to Christian McCaffrey or Preston Williams to Randy Moss. Yeah, those are comparisons I've heard. While that might be what some shows will tell you, to get you to listen and to pander, that's just not what he is. And so when you float the idea of drafting elsewhere, passing on this generational quarterback to maybe prop up a guy that could be at best the 12th best quarterback in the NFL, maybe the 10th best at very, very best, that's where you completely lose me. You don't make that kind of decision. You don't sacrifice, no matter what the rewards are on the other end, you don't sacrifice at quarterback. That's where this franchise would lose the fan base. That's Jake Long over Matt Ryan. That's Ronnie Brown over Aaron Rodgers. You don't do it. So for you people talking about holding Rosen and using a treasure chest to build around him, I'd rather put my money into a Mercedes than into a Ford Focus. But the one spot that I might be able to get away with putting rims on your Honda Accord is maybe at that right guard spot. Evan Bame, is he possibly a guy that can save you money on a Brandon Scherf from Washington? We'll see, but I'm willing to listen to that salesmanship on that type of a deal. All right, so we're going to have some different programming this week as the bye week comes up on Sunday. Get out there and see the world, the earth. Get yourself free on a Sunday afternoon. You guys know me. I'll be watching football all weekend. But for the programming guide this week, normal post game on Monday, this show. Tuesday, we'll have the aftermath. And Wednesday, of course, the All-22. Then I'll change over to some more scouting college and free agents talking about the future. I have scouting reports on several rookies coming out in this year's draft. Hopefully, we'll have some free agent film to break down. And I'll have the first month mock of the season way earlier this year than any year prior. The first off-season mock will be on Sunday. That'll be the flagship show next week. But as for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Dallas just scored. They're up 10-9. 